Hi, I'm Larry Gifford. I have Parkinson's disease. This is when life gives you Parkinson's. Joining me today is my co-host and my partner in Parkinson's, Rebecca Gifford. I'm excited because on this episode of the podcast, we are talking to two leaders of Parkinson's organizations about how they provide advocacy opportunities for the Parkinson's community, Mm -hmm. how they support the great advocacy already happening amongst its membership, and how they have had to adjust their organization's plans in 2020 and 2021 because of COVID-19. Plus... Oh, so much going on here. (laughs) Plus, we get to learn what new and exciting things are in store for them this year. So Beck and I chatted with Eli Pollard from the World Parkinson Coalition and uh, WPC 2022 in Barcelona. Um, And she's going to join us and talk about some of the awesome new programs they're launching this year, including the first ever virtual WPC. But before we get to Eli, Larry, you talked with Parkinson Canada's new president and CEO, Karen Lee. So how did that go? Well, really well. Uh, I am a huge fan of Dr. Lee's. I'm happy she's on the program. She has a very collaborative and global perspective, a very interesting background. So listen in. Uh, Karen Lee, welcome to When Life Gives You Parkinson's. Thank you, Larry. It's lovely to be here. And thank you, Parkinson Canada, for supporting the podcast for like three seasons now. That's amazing. Well, we're delighted to be supporting it, and we look forward to continue to support this. I can see this going beyond uh, three years, um, and hopefully uh, we can continue to see the success of Life Gives You Parkinson's. Yeah, we're, we're very excited and been great partners. I do want people to understand sort of where you've come from. Uh, you, were, you were raised in your teen years in Hong Kong. What was that like? Um, great experience. I, I was so to give you a bit of background. I am Canadian. I was born in Winnipeg. Wow. I grew up in Ottawa, um, but moved to Hong Kong in my teenage years um, and finished out high school there and came back for university. And um, really grateful for the opportunity to experience uh, different uh, cultures and to really um, appreciate um, different lenses that we all um, live through. Yeah. And when you were in high school in Hong Kong, were you interested in medicine and biology and chemistry and all that good stuff? Yeah, I guess you could say I was interested in all that um, scientific um, aspect. I really got a good appreciation of what um, biology was in high school. And then in university was when you get the exposure to more of the lab um, component. And that's really where I saw... um, my passion for science was really in the lab aspect and um, was able to uh, do my PhD um, in neurosciences and really have that experience in a laboratory setting. Yeah, so you got an honors degree in cell biology from Western Reserve and a PhD in cellular and molecular medicine from the University of Ottawa. That's correct. That's looking at very small things. How do you have that strength And then you go to this big organization like Parkinson Canada and you have a global look at things. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So I think there's a few things. So yes, when you're doing a doctorate or a PhD and really studying a very specific thing at a microscopic level, but it all fits in what I would say a massive network and ecosystem. Um, I think what a lot of people are always curious about is how did I take something in the science and take it into a health charity, into a large organization and interaction with a community. Um, And really it was um, when I was doing my PhD, I realized I was studying um, a very specific molecule, trying to understand how it impacted um, the brain um, for a a very specific disease. And I didn't know anybody who lived with the disease. I didn't understand what the implication was going to be. And would it even have an impact on that person who lived with the disease? And realizing there was a really big gap for me in the laboratory, making the connection to uh, the human, the patient. There's so many uh, researchers who never, ever meet anybody with the disease that they're studying. Yeah, and for me, that was really important. So I reached out to uh, the charity that was actually funding me uh, for my work, and uh, that's how it started. And then I realized, 
wow, there's this huge community who are supporting researchers, but on top of that, who really have this thirst, this desire to understand and to support research. And that is where I realized we need better engagement on both sides, both from the research community and also from the patient community. You come to Parkinson Canada after 12 years at the MS Society of Canada, and most recently as the VP of Research and Managing Director of End MS Research and Training Network. What learnings do you bring with you? Yeah, so I think one of the big things that I've learned is you cannot do anything alone. And this is something I realized even in your PhD, when you're working by yourself at the bench, it is you can't do it alone. You need... Um, a group, you need a network, you need collaboration. And so um, as much as I know there's people out there who are about, I'm studying this very specific thing, or I'm doing this very specific thing, what I've come to realize the importance of and the need for collaboration. And that's really what I'm bringing to the table these days. And when you talk about collaboration, um, are you talking about within Canada, outside Canada, between different organizations and different diseases? Like what, 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 what comes into your mind when you say that? All of the above, what you just mentioned. I don't think there should be a thing as boundaries. I think, of course, great. It's easier to reach to people within your own backyard, but it's really great to interact with other organizations outside of our country um, and as well as other diseases. Um, as we know, Parkinson's is a disease that affects the, the brain, and we can learn a lot from other diseases and to take what they've done and also they can learn from us. It works both ways. So, yeah. So how have you been received with your open arms? Oh, that you would have to ask people. I don't have a good game for myself. Um, you know, to be quite honest, one of the things coming in uh, to what I would say a different community um, after spending 12 years and plus with the MS community is really just taking the time um, to meet people, to listen, um, hear what has worked, what hasn't worked, um, where the needs are, and really starting to figure out what is what can we do as Parkinson Canada to support the Parkinson community? And at the end of the day, also bring forward hopefully new treatments. Um, and we won't be able to do that alone. Um, we know we are one of many players um, in the community, but we know we need to work together. What you just said is awesome but it may come as a surprise to people who worked with Parkinson Canada in the past because there, um, let's just call it, there's some friction between organizations in Canada. Uh, and, and how are you healing those wounds? Well, first and foremost, I think um, many people may not know that we, um, there's various organizations um, in Canada and the CEOs talk. Uh, we look for ways to partner together we have a great relationship with uh, Parkinson BC, as well as Parkinson Association of Alberta, um, as well as Southwestern Ontario, really trying to understand what we can do with Quebec. And so here's the thing is that at the end of the day, I don't think somebody who lives with Parkinson's wants to have to say, oh, I'm supporting this group or this group. What they want to know is, what are you doing for me? And whether it comes from Parkinson, Alberta, um, or if it comes from us, we just want to know that we're giving people the best support. And so um, more recently, um, with the Parkinson Association of Alberta, we actually, um, they did a, a virtual conference and we partnered with them. We brought forward a speaker to really highlight one of our research initiatives. Um, we look to uh, different groups to see what they do well, whether it's an exercise program, such as I know U-Turn has some great exercise programs that we can turn people to. And Dancing with Parkinson's is another group. And these are groups, too, that we need to really build strong relationships with. Yeah, well, and, and, and I'm not a dancer, and um, but I am an improv comedian. Uh, and so uh, we started Improv for Parkinson's with Parkinson's BC that could go global. I mean, it's 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 so fun and we're doing it virtually online and it's amazing. Yeah. And I think those are the things. Um, what is really important at the end of the day is, you know, this is out of uh, Parkinson BC, but that doesn't mean we can't highlight it. We can't demonstrate to people, hey, turn to this group if this is what interests you. Because another thing I've learned over the years is um, I'm not here to tell you do this or do that. 
I want to ensure that we're giving people in the community options so that they can make the best choices for themselves because everyone is unique and we have to recognize that and we hope we can provide enough information for everyone to make the best decision for themselves. So if you had to wrap up in a sentence or two what the mission of Parkinson Canada is, maybe you just said it, but uh, lay that out for us. What, what, what is the role of Parkinson Canada? So, you know, I think what people always see a health charity or Parkinson Canada is, you know, here to support, uh, provide services for people living with Parkinson's and ultimately find a cure. However, um, I think that is pretty what I would call standard um, and recognized. But I think where we are today is that we recognize we have a community of people living with Parkinson's who may fall down but we'll get back up and are resilient and are strong. And um, with that type of strength, we know we have to provide the best options, programs, and support so that no matter what, we are here to support the people living with Parkinson's. And I think that's really where we're at. No matter what. Mm-hmm. That's the those three words seem to echo over the course of the last couple of years with Parkinson Canada. That's a quite a big campaign. It is something I heard loud and clear through a listening tour I did over the summer. It was, you know, we are living in a very trying time right now with COVID nineteen, the isolation, um, not being able to interact with peers, um, even your your uh, support system. But we see over and over again, I'm hearing over and over again, that people will do whatever it takes and no matter what to make sure they're feeling loved, that they're not isolated and they're being supported. And we at Parkinson Canada, I would say that is where we're at. We want, we are saying it, uh, all our colleagues is no matter what, we will do our best for all of you. How do you take those three words and make them a culture? Hmm. That is a really good question. (laughs) I'm learning as a, and I'll be quite honest with all of you, I'm a first time CEO. Culture is really important to me. Um, The no matter what also brings in that culture of working together collaboratively. Um, And I think we lead by example as an organization is, as you said, open arms. We talk with all the various groups, look for opportunities, synergies. It's not out to compete and not looking to duplicate efforts, but really looking for efficiencies and opportunities. So I'm not gonna read into this that much, but your first day on the job was April Fool's Day. I know I thought about this. (laughs) (laughs) And it was 10 days after the first coronavirus cases were reported in Canada, less Mm -hmm. than 900,000 cases worldwide. As Mm -hmm. of this recording, there are 673,000 cases in Canada and 91 million worldwide. What has been the challenge of operating uh, an organization like Parkinson Canada and serving your constituents in the middle of a pandemic? You know what it is, is that it's not that it's a challenge. It is, we have to really look at, we have to be more precise about the opportunities that are coming forward now. Um, I think one of, there are difficulties for sure in terms of funds coming in, but that really makes us push as us as an organization and a community to be agile and to be innovative in what we can do for the future. And so it's really brought forward an opportunity to really rethink some of the things we have done in the past. Does it work? And is this the time now to make some changes? And um, how do we raise the bar for the community, um, us as an organization? It's a, it would say it'd be more of an imposed challenge to ourselves to think about really taking the time to listen hear from the community and say, okay, this is what you need, then this is what we're going to bring forward. So those are, for me, it's been the opportunity that uh, COVID has brought forward. And of course, we have the challenges, I say in quotation, because it's real. We all have it across all charitable sectors. Um, 
you know, decrease funds. Um, but that just means that we have to be even more precise in the opportunities and what we need to really look at moving forward. So nine months in, what uh, what are you hearing and how what are you changing? Yeah. So one of the big things I heard loud and clear was the need to engage, the need to really have um, opportunities for people affected by Parkinson's to be really part of an organization that represents them. So delighted to say that we launched a Parkinson Advisory Council. Uh, We were accepting applications over the holidays. um, And this is really about looking at ways that people affected by Parkinson's and their loved ones, uh, caregivers, can really give us their firsthand experience and be engaged in all aspects of the organization. Um, That was something that we heard loud and clear. And um, we really wanted to take that and look at how this becomes an organization-wide initiative, not just for one-off things. It's really being embedded within the organization. So that was something we heard loud and clear. Yeah. That's great. Um, when you, I'm sure when you got there last April and everybody was sent home. <laughs> so basically I got there in front of a computer is what you mean. Yeah. A Parkinson computer. Uh, yeah. The, <laughs> yeah computer. So like just getting to know your staff and knowing who they are and, and, and then building trust with people over, mm-hmm. over camera as, I mean, that's, you, you don't have the opportunity to go grab a, drink after work or like all those things that build you sort of a, a bond with your, with your team. Yeah. Uh, so, so how did, how did that go? And, and what did you learn from, from just sort of talking to the people who work there? So one of the things and whether they love it or hate, it, I'm not sure. I basically had a call with them every morning was how we started off April all the way probably till Christmas. It was part of my way of getting to know the organization, but also to getting to know them. Um, and this is the other thing is with yourself, Larry, and um, others across the organization, uh, the community in Canada and worldwide was just getting on the phone, or shall I say Zoom, and just having, doesn't have to be long conversations, but getting to know you conversations and building from there. Yes, it's not the same as um, being in person, potentially meeting um, um, in different meetings or, but it's this ability now, I would say there's a bit of, there's been a bit of an advantage here. I don't think I would have had the same opportunity to get to know you as much if we didn't have this opportunity to do Zoom the way we have been doing virtual calls. I have to be more deliberate in having those conversations. And um, the importance of effective communication is something too that I'm consistently working on. Well, you must have been there at the moment you had to decide that you couldn't have the super walk live. Yeah. So we made the difficult decision. We know the importance of people coming together, right? Um, We know there is that that feeling when you, you know, you have a group of people who understand what it's like to live with Parkinson's, they're building awareness. But at the same time, we know this isn't, um, if we care about those who live with Parkinson's, you know, yes, revenue might be down this year. However, it's really ultimately at the end of the day is the safety and health of people living with Parkinson's. And so we made that um, choice that it's really ultimately, um, you know, you can do it in your backyard, but Doing a group setting was not really the way to go. And we've learned, too, in terms of what may also work in the future, because as we all know, running events is quite costly. And um, we are looking at new models so that we aren't as administratively um, resourcing, um, you know, funding in that area. Maybe we can look at different ways to roll out um, Superwalks. So it's given us an opportunity to test out potentially new ways of doing things as well. Yeah. yeah, I mean, just being able to watch the opening ceremonies on demand in your living room. I mean, I watched it over and over and over again. I mean, it was so good. I just I couldn't keep my eyes off of it. Yeah, well, Larry, you were amazing. So it helps when you have a good MC. But I think it also generates, don't forget, we are a national organization. It doesn't matter where you live in Canada. We want people to feel included. And in a weird way, having the virtual walk allowed people who normally wouldn't have that opportunity to interact with someone like yourself um, virtually um, was really nice. And I think- that's really what we're looking for as well for our programming and our support. As we think about it, sure, you have your community in your local home area, but 
wouldn't it be great to meet somebody um, somewhere else who maybe actually have a has has a, something that resonates more with you? You don't know, and so I think we want to build those connections. Yeah, I think COVID has done that for everybody. I mean, I find that I have so many more connections globally than I ever did just because I've been hanging out, you know, through Twitter and Facebook and, and Zoom calls. It's, it's actually weird if you only use phone only. Let's right. be honest. Say, like, hey, what are you like? Uh, you're not in the shower this morning or what? <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. so you've you've taken on all this information over the course of your time, and uh, you know you've talked to employees, you've talked to partners, and and and, and patients, and caregivers, and, and 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 with all of that, at the beginning of each year, I'm sure you have new strategic priorities that you want to yeah. tackle. So, I'd love to hear sort of uh, what your new uh, strategic direction is. Keeping in mind, it's 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 under the theme of no matter what. And we've heard loud and clear that we want to impact more people living with Parkinson's. So when we say that, it's about um, serving people across the country um, with equity and consistency and ensuring that, as we talked about earlier, that people have choices and options. So we are looking at that with a digital first lens. Secondly, is raising the voice of the person living with Parkinson's. Um, we recognize um, there is a big need, as we said, through the engagement of people affected by Parkinson's to be part of the organization, um, but also from an advocacy lens. What's important to people living with Parkinson's? We hear a lot about the need for um, integrated healthcare models. How do we as Parkinson Canada help um, advocate for that? And so those are things we are definitely um, working on. And thirdly, um, one that's dear to me, as many of you know, is research. So um, how do we drive innovation and collaboration uh, to find new treatments and potentially a cure for research? Um, as many of your listeners may know, especially here in Canada, we have the C-Open, which is a, a registry about collecting data from people living with Parkinson's. And we know that, um, you know, a few years of funding with that is not enough. So we are looking at how do we expand the funding for that, but more importantly, get more people involved um, who are living with Parkinson's here in Canada so that they can be part of the solution. And I think that's really critical and that we bridge that patient and research community as well. As a doctorate of neurosciences, what are you most excited about when it comes to the research area of Parkinson's? So, one of the things that I, I am really excited to see is I think we're on the brink of what I would what I think people are looking for is disease modifying therapies for people living with Parkinson's. Um, the pipeline looks pretty robust right now, yeah. and I think we're primed for our, uh, treatment to come through. And the other thing that was really exciting for me to see coming into the Parkinson community was how much research has been done when it comes to exercise and wellness so um, and the importance of that. So for me, it's really um, further promoting what I think all the people living with Parkinson's know and have been doing in terms of exercise. So there, there, it's two-prong. It's um, for us as an organization to get on it when it comes to exercise and wellness to give um, people more information on that, but also working towards more treatments and new, a potential new first-time disease-modifying therapy uh, for people living with Parkinson's. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's for me, I'm 49 now, uh, and I was talking to a biologist who's been working in, you know, in, 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 with cells in a, in a test tube. And, yeah, <laughs> petri know, dish. Petri dish, whatever. <laughs> uh, obviously, I did not graduate with honors uh, in science. <laughs> He, he's really, really excited about, you know, sort of the, the, the GBA possibilities and what you can do with that. And, uh, and, and he said, you know, there's, you know, we, we could possibly stop Parkinson's within eight to 10 years. Uh, mm -hmm. But in order to do the human trials, then we need the, the biomarkers to also mm -hmm. happen at the same time. Because if we don't yep. have the biomarker, we can't test, you know, yep. it, what, if it's working. But if all that comes together within eight to 10 years, we could stop Parkinson's in its tracks which means to me, you know, the way that affects me personally is before I'm 60, the Parkinson's could just stop. And that, that to amazing? me is a miracle. I mean, that's amazing. That's how close we are. Yeah, I think um, there's a lot of different things that are in the hopper. I think another piece 
that is of interest is the diagnosis piece. Can we get, and that's the whole biomarkers piece. Is yeah. there something yeah. that could speed up diagnosis? Is that, that going to happen this year? I get the sense it's going to happen this year. Wouldn't that be a great 2021? Oh, you know, forget man. 2020, yeah. but 2021, if we could have a marker for diagnosis, um, I think that would also really help people, right? In general, like in terms of, I've heard the stories of how long it takes or the uncertainty and that in itself is a lot of anxiety, right? So um, I think that is also another um, place we can definitely look at. So when people are done listening to this episode of When Life Gives You Parkinson's, flip over to the Michael J. Fox Foundation Parkinson's podcast that I also host. And yep. It came out at the same time. So it, it, it just got released and it's me and Debbie Brooks and Todd Shearer. Yep. And who who are the, the big wigs there, the co-founder and, <laughs> yeah. uh, and and Debbie at the end of the episode talks about what you just said, and she she says it with so oh, really? much passion and enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah, uh, that I I believe like tomorrow there could be an announcement that there's a biomarker because she's just like we are on the precipice, and yeah. and, and and to hear you say that and to hear her say that uh, out loud to the masses like. We wouldn't be saying that if we if we couldn't taste it. Yeah, and I and I think from my experience in the MS field and looking at where Parkinson's is, I really feel this is the time now for Parkinson's. I joined the MS field, and they just had the approval of one to two DMTs over to, and now they have fourteen. Wow. So you can see once one comes, there's going to, and the need for more is going to be important because as we talked about, it's not a one, one drug fit all type of scenario. Everyone's very different in their progression of the disease. And therefore the more options we have, the better for people. Yeah. So you were also talking about the importance of exercise. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the ideas that I've come across that I think should be adopted worldwide and I'll yeah. give this idea to you and you can maybe, maybe not, it's maybe not a 2021 thing, but you can plan ahead. Okay. Um, you know, you talked about giving information and research results to people with Parkinson's saying you better exercise. Oftentimes it's, that's prohibitive because they don't have the money to join the, the gym or they don't have the, the equipment or they, they want to join a, a you know, a, a team or a soccer team or what they want to buy a Jersey or whatever, whatever it is. They, there's some cost prohibited measures there. Correct. Keep them yep. from that or even socialization for that, which is also important. Yep. Um, so what if there was a, a part of the fundraising arm of Parkinson Canada that mm-hmm. you could donate to a small grants fund mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you could then then anybody could apply for a small grant to put towards a club membership or uh, a, a new bike or uh, you know we're organizing a group of 10 people to go to dinner and we just want uh, transportation costs or whatever it is mm-hmm. um, and, and 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 that way whether it's a hundred or five hundred dollars at a time, People could, you know, apply for stuff, and then you have a grants committee right. that looks it over. But then it's 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 using our money to help us. Right, right. I think it's definitely something great idea, and I think it's something we've been talking about in terms of how do we, you know, because we always get the question too, Larry, as you said. Um, so I've been raising funds here. What's coming back to my community? What's the impact? Um, for sure, I can tell you the impact on the research side, on the support groups. And as we start to look at new programming, um, you know, sure, but not everyone will go to those things. So they want to know how is it really applied to me? So I think your idea is something we would build in as something we're looking at. Um, not maybe for 2021 as we have a few things on the uh, on the go, but yes, it's something we are looking at um, in terms of, you know, maybe it's about a connectivity piece, like, um, you know, um, socialization, for sure. It's something we should look at, because I hear a lot about the isolation or the inability to afford to do certain things. We've also looked at thinking about digital first, as we moved into this new era, we will be piloting more to come a mobile app on wellness. And from there, you know, we'd love to get the feedback from the community who will start using it and what may be some of the barriers of, um, um, you know, to get to wellness, right? So those are things that we will definitely be looking at and reviewing. 
That's awesome. So uh, at the end of this year, mm-hmm. when you look back over the last 12 months, yep. what is success? Success for me is um, the formalization and the first engagement with the Parkinson Advisory Council, that they will be um, integrated into the organization. That would be the big first step in success for me, is to have those names, the chair named, um, the committee named, and that they've worked with us on a few items. One being um, new programming for support, um, a new program for programming, whatever they they deem is important. Um, And another one for me is that people say, wow, look at Parkinson Canada. They really are listening. That for me would be success for 2021. Yeah. So if folks have ideas or they want to learn more about the council or they want to talk to you and uh, what, how, how do they reach out? There's many different ways, uh, but the easiest is to go on our website. Um, They can click a link to contact us through email Um, as well. If you guys are on Twitter, um, you can contact me uh, through uh, Dr. Underscore uh, Karen Lee. Are you on TikTok? That I am not. So are you? Are you? Are you kidding me? Should we be doing a dance together at one point? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Listen, I, I'm uh, I'm so happy to spend this time with you, uh, and I'm I'm glad that uh, you are uh, where you are because I think you've already made a big difference in our communities, and I, I look forward, you know, to when we put you out of work because Parkinson's is no longer a thing. I would love that and really appreciate how welcoming this community has been uh, with me and really valuing all these uh, relationships that we're developing. So thank you, Larry. So, Larry, what were your main takeaways? Well, Parkinson Canada has this new vision, new expectations, uh, new enthusiasm. It's a whole new vibe. Uh, They're tapping into the Parkinson's community to better serve us. And frankly, my experience, and uh, and others too, right away since uh, the first day Karen arrived, uh, she's been just sort of iterating everything. Uh, I'm also excited about her background as a scientist. She's really going to be pushing for global research partners that get us closer to a cure, as she did uh, when she spent some time with the the MS Society. So now let's focus on another global collaborator, the executive director of the World Parkinson Coalition and the brains and heart behind the World Parkinson Congress, Eli Pollard. So Eli uh, is short for Elizabeth. But a lot of people don't know that right away. Well, you know, I get it all the time. Obviously, I live in New York City, and Eli is a very common man's name, especially in New York City. And so I get a lot of phone calls with the um, calling to speak to Mr. Pollard. But I do think that, you know, it was funny because Dr. Fawn, who founded the WPC, had a really hard time in the beginning calling me Eli because for him, it was very much a boy's name and a male name. And so he introduced me for years as, you know, this is Elizabeth but she goes by Eli. <laughs> he had to like warm up to it. And after a couple of years, then he just was like, ah, you know, whatever. It is, it's Eli. And that was it. But it took him a little while to get used to it. So um, I always think about that. But but uh, yeah, no, it confuses many, many people. So you've been there since 2004, since the very beginning of the WPC, as we know it. Uh, how has it evolved? Oh, my goodness. Um, Well, I mean, I have to say, I think it's always important to start out because if people haven't heard me say this before, you know, we had no idea that the World Parkinson Coalition would continue. I mean, we didn't know that the World Parkinson Congress would even be successful. And so I think it's really important for people to know that at the time when we launched it, it was really innovative. Just bringing people with Parkinson's into a scientific meeting just hadn't been done. And so back in 2006, when we had the first World Parkinson Coalition, that itself was was groundbreaking and everyone was so excited, but it also opened the door for a lot of questions and requests to like, it was a great way sort of pushing us to go even further, right? So, okay, so we opened the door to people with Parkinson's and families. That was the first sort of groundbreaking. And then the next thing was, okay, what are you gonna do next to be better? And so I would say the evolution, going back to your question, Larry, the evolution is really around how we have included more people with Parkinson's in the process over the years, right? So at the first Congress, it was just opening the doors to get people with Parkinson's into the Congress. Everyone was so excited. Uh, It was an incredible opportunity. 
the next Congress, we had people with Parkinson's up on the stage speaking in the plenary session and speaking at, you know, in other meet in other sessions. And that has grown. And so at the third Congress, it was not only having people speak, we had more people with Parkinson's on the planning committee. So it's really about weaving the voice of people with Parkinson's in. And, and you know, we've added so many things with, um, you know, ambassadors, we have Parkinson ambassadors, uh, we have science ambassadors, and just really getting the voice of the community um, into more of what we do. And we're always looking for ways to expand and, and innovate, so. 15 years, that's amazing. It's amazing growth in 15 years. And look at how the community has evolved and you had to have played a big role in that. It's, well, I think part of it is just listening. Mm -hmm. When people fill out our surveys, I actually read them. I do listen, <laughs> I do read. You know, one of the things we've heard over the years is that our both, both from people with Parkinson's who are not scientists and from scientists, I'm talking about the basic scientists, not so much the clinical researchers, but they are the farthest apart on the spectrum. So it is very rare for an, a scientist in a lab to meet a person with Parkinson's and vice versa. Our research spotlight is starting this month. What is that? So the research spotlight is we think that there should be more interaction between scientists and people with Parkinson's. And we want to bridge that divide, right? So we've invited a number of scientists over the, over the last year to write blog posts so people can read about their science. But now we went through our blog post and we could see how many people were reading them. We know which blog posts are popular. We also know which ones are really interesting because people are like asking questions. We're inviting those authors, six of them a year. So we're doing six of them in 2021 and we'll try to do six every year. Um, we're inviting the ones we think have really promising work, really interesting, and ones we think that people who are not scientists should hear from. And so we have our, our vice president, Roger Barker, Professor Roger Barker from Cambridge, is going to be interviewing these authors about their blog posts and their research. So not only do you learn science, but you get to hear a great accent. <laughs> but it's very cool because it is, again, it's back to our sort of core of who we are about bringing the community together. And we are really bringing the community together, giving researchers, and so lovely because all of the researchers who we've invited to present are all bringing along colleagues mostly like postdocs and junior fellow, like fellows. So the future. So not only are we bringing, getting these world leaders, they're the kind of people who say, I'm going to bring up my junior clinician or researcher, and I'm going to help them, you know, share their, uh, their, their knowledge. And it's what, it gives us another person, another voice and another face of somebody who's on our team. And so I'm excited. We've never done this before. Um, so it's a great way to drive more, you know, more traffic to the blog and then the research and and some people prefer to learn through reading. Some people prefer to read, learn through video. So they can kind of choose, do I want to read the blog? Do I want to watch it? But it's uh, launching this month. I'm really excited about it. It's right in the spirit of who we are and, and what we always try to do. And it's so lovely because everyone we've invited has just been super excited to have the chance. Like there's, it's not like a, I don't know if I have the time. It's, it just goes back to our community. The Parkinson's community is such a special community. Honestly, yeah. I'm not saying that because I'm in it. It really is a special community. And uh, they were all just, I asked them and they were like, absolutely. I would love to tell more people about this. I'd love to take questions. So it's even easy to put it together because everyone wants to do it. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, you know, I thought maybe you were inspired by our last episode where we interviewed a scientist uh, about GBA, but, but that's okay. I'm always inspired by your podcast, Larry. I've <laughs> <laughs> been interviewing scientists from the beginning. You, you, you clued into that one very quickly. So, um, but not everyone has the... You know, sometimes I think people are scared to ask scientists. Like, they don't know even what questions to ask. Yeah, I've been asking dumb questions my whole life. I'm a C minus C student. I, I have I have no fear. <laughs> but the researchers, the researchers at WPC and other organizations where you've met them, they're so approachable. And they're so, and like you said, happy to be talking to an actual person from the Parkinson's community who's positively affected by their work. And then alternatively, they're offering such hope and optimism and gratitude and all the things that we need to kind of keep going day to day as, as, as people in the Parkinson's community. That's wonderful. It's a great idea. Yeah. I love so, it. So Eli, you had mentioned uh, sort of the evolution of uh, WPC and how you're constantly iterating. One of those iterations uh, that, the, that you guys are doing and have started already is the bilingual series. Uh, and it's so, I, I, first off, I want to know, it, it, can you read all the feedback. I'm guessing people are asking for more languages. 
if I have to read Yeah, it's definitely more languages. In Spanish, you know, because I'm based in the United States, that is for us the sort of biggest second language in the United States, for sure. And, you know, we've heard throughout the years from various people that the resources in Spanish, not just in the United States, but across, you know, Central and South America are just not always that rich. Uh, and so I know there are organizations across the United States that do put materials out in Spanish, but there's really just, there's just a need for more and a more, more quality work in Spanish. And so we really sort of are, are looking at the fact that we're taking the World Parkinson Congress, the sixth World Parkinson Congress to Spain in 2022, in June of 2022. And one of the things I was always so impressed with myself is, this goes back to the evolution, is that I think that the advocacy community, so people living with Parkinson's who are advocates and care partners who are advocates, they the community has gotten so much savvier and smarter. Like the kinds of questions that people asked 15 years ago were very different from the kinds of questions people ask now. And what's happened is the World Parkinson Congresses have benefited from that because we get people, advocates who come to the Congress, they come prepared, like they've read the research, they come with hard questions, they're not there asking simple questions, they're like engaged, huge, important aspect of our, our community. And I think it's, it's one of the things that's so eye-opening to health professionals. But I don't think that our, uh, uh, the Spanish community across Central and South America has reached that evolution yet. They, they're sort of on that earlier stages of that evolution. And so what we wanna make sure is that when people get to Barcelona, that whether they speak English or Spanish, we want them to have the information and the tools and the knowledge so they can go into a session and engage. We want them to be able to get information out. We want them to be able to ask questions. We want them to understand what they're hearing. And so we thought, let's just start with Spanish because we're gonna be in Barcelona. It makes sense, let's tackle that. Uh, and I have to say the program's just been incredible. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of work. Um, it's more work for the presenters. Uh, all the presenters are bilingual. And they do a presentation on a specific topic in English, and then they take a short break and they do the exact same presentation in Spanish. Wow. And so it's a lot, right? I'm always yeah. very impressed yeah. you can switch like that when, and not completely, you know, your head pop off. It's really great. And so, um, yeah, so the first talk was on uh, neurogenic orthopsych hypotension, which some people know as dizziness or lightheadedness. And the second talk was on DBS part one. We're going to do a DBS part two coming up soon. But what's incredible is, is that, I mean, honestly, I, I've been stunned at the, at the feedback. It was very, very good. And I think it's interesting, and I don't know why this is happening. We can all speculate, but of the registrants on the English side, around 70% of them were people with Parkinson's and care partners, and 30% were health professionals or researchers. Mm. Yeah. On the Spanish side, that was reversed. Wow. 30 to 40% people with Parkinson's and care partners, the rest were health professionals. That blew my mind. So even like we had, and then not just any help. I mean, I asked them I, in the in the registration, they're movement disorder doctors, neurologists. I mean, they're calling in to see these talks. And I think part of it is that they they speak English most likely, the doctors do. Um, the nurses and PTs might not speak English comfortably, but I think for them, it's so novel to see a talk in Spanish delivered by these world leaders and highly respected people. They usually see they're presenting in English. So I think part of it is this fascination of like, oh, I want to see this amazing person give that talk in Spanish. Well, I was able to attend the first two so far. I was fascinated with the DBS one. I'll be attending that one as well because that applies to our family. But the other one, um, I assumed it would be less applicable, uh, the one on lightheadedness. But the, my, I have an uncle in Ohio who has Parkinson's and the day after the webinar, he started experiencing this and we learned about it and they were at a loss. The family was at a loss for information about it, didn't know where to get information. It was like, well, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a great webinar you can watch in English. And they, <laughs> and they watched it and they were very grateful. It, it was chock full of information, both of them really chock full of information. And I could see how it would be informative for people like me who are just in the community and looking for basic information and also be really inform really chock full of uh, uh, valuable information for folks looking to apply the inflammation and the, the information, the inflammation. Did I just the say inflammation. that? I'm going to apply the inflammation. Yeah, that's, that's how you get Parkinson's disease. 
So um, already you've helped somebody, my uncle in Ohio and his family. Right. Speaking of connecting, we're going to virtually connect this year uh, prior to Barcelona. Ooh, tell me more. I'm so excited. Yes, we're very excited. So I think if, if, if you, you obviously know Larry and, and, and Rebecca that we have the World Parkinson Congress happens every three years. And people often ask me, why don't you do it more frequently? Do it every year. And I, and you know, I, I think I said to you the other day, maybe Larry, I, I, in order to not get divorced by my husband, I don't think I can do it more than once every three years. <laughs> Cause you might be like, no. So I do recognize, you know, there are people who can't attend the Congress in person. And we have always wanted to do something virtual. We've been chewing on this idea for a long time and COVID sort of pushed our hand and which is great. So now what we'll do is, you know, we every three years, we continue to have our in-person World Parkinson Congress. And then in the years between, so it would be sort of year one is the in-person Congress, year two, year three would be a virtual Congress. And so we're calling it WPC Virtual. It's Advancing Science, Care, and Living with Parkinson's. We have around 80 presenters. It is it is packed full. Is it what, five streams? It's five tracks. We'll be having a track. So something is released every day on basic science, social science, uh, treatment options, comprehensive care, and living with Parkinson's. And also two talks around wellness. They're like the bonus tracks. Bonus track around wellness, one from delivered from the PT's perspective, one from uh, speech language pathologist's perspective. But what's nice is that because the, the talks are going to be short, really targeted, really forward thinking and positive around what, what's happening, what's to come, what's most exciting in the space. Those are going to be pre-taped, but the Q&A will be live. So on say Monday, May 17th, we're going to release all the sessions for that day. There'll be the five tracks. We'll each have one session released plus the bonus tracks, those two. People can binge watch just like in Netflix. We've all been binge watching. I've been binge watching more this year than my, my entire life. Yes, yes. <laughs> Right. So people can really come in and pick and they can go through and, and binge on whatever sessions they're most interested in and jump around. And then the next day, they'll have 23 hours to submit questions. Literally, they can watch if our friends in Australia wake up at 8 a.m., they can have a civilized cup of coffee and watch a session. They don't have to wake up at three o'clock in the morning to watch a session. So this is great for everyone in the world. They have 23 hours to submit questions for when we release it. And then we close the Q&A box and that is um, the speakers and the moderator will be watching those questions as they come in and they will be preparing for the live Q&A, which is going to take place the next day. So if the session's released on Monday, wow. then the Tuesday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern time, so my time, then there'll be the live Q&A. The room will open up. The speakers and moderator will have like hundreds of questions they've been reviewing and preparing for. Plus, if you're there for the live Q&A, you can still submit more questions. They'll continue to take questions. But this is a nice way for everyone in the world to be able to sort of submit questions to the presenters. And even if you can't watch the live Q&A, we're going to tape the Q&A. So you submit your question. It'll get answered somewhere, hopefully in the live Q&A. You can come back and watch the tape. But that's going to go on for the week. So that's Monday through like Thursday with sessions. And then Friday will be the closeout of the Q&A from the day before. Um, and so you said like 80 speakers. Yep, 80 or 81. And it's $25 all in. It is $25. That's correct. That's amazing. The magic of technology, it cuts your costs down, right? And it's just chock full of information. You get to binge watch for $25. It's amazing. Yeah. And then we'll leave the sessions up for three months as well afterwards. So people, if they miss that week by chance, they can still come in for three months and go through any and all the sessions. And what a great oh, idea to fantastic. be able to watch and process and come up with your questions and submit the questions and then see what everybody else's questions and hopefully get yours, your question answered as well. That's a, that would be great to do that. You can't do that in the live events, but it would be nice because there are lots of questions that come up as you kind of process all the information that you're taking in that day. Right. And then it would be nice to the next day to come back and be able to have a conversation about it. Right. The way the Q&A system even works, it's one of those where you can upvote. So if you see a great question from someone else, you can be like, oh, I'm just going to ask that and just vote for their question. And the more for the votes That's they great. get, the more likely those questions will get answered. So it's like a competition for the best questions. <laughs> Pressure. Pressure. But but I could see like uh, Rebecca and I, we don't have the same schedule always. So she may watch an episode at uh, you know, 10 and I may watch it at four. And then at dinner time we start discussing it. And then we come up with a question and we submit it. Yes. 
that is wonderful. That would be actually a great model. We should pitch that, Larry. It's like tag team. The same, the same way you tag team Congress, right? You can't go to all the sessions. So you have to sort of conquer and divide. Like you go to that session on exercise, right. I go to the session on sleep. We'll come back together and share notes. Sort of the same idea. I love that. Family. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. So cool. Divide and conquer. Bonus. I'm speaking. Hello. Our full disclosure, Larry's speaking in the in the virtual congress. Good Mr. lord. Is anybody even gonna show up for the QA? I don't know. <laughs> They're gonna show up. They're gonna come with hard questions. Oh good. I like hard questions. It may just be me. <laughs> I'll come up with really, really hard questions for you and then just pepper you with them. Honey, did you take out the trash? <laughs> Did you take out the trash? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, we're excited. This is a big year. We have a lot going on. The bilingual series, the researcher spotlight, and the virtual congress. And it's all ultimately designed to get people ready and, and geared up for the congress next year. I'm just amazed and pleased so much with when organizations like yours take advantage of this technology boom and people becoming so much more comfortable with doing group meetings and presentations and whatnot and taking all that information in over technology. I, I mean, it might even be that the virtual Congress wouldn't be happening if I were traveling so much. Yeah. You're coming out of me just not going anywhere. <laughs> Great, actually. <laughs> Sit and still for a minute. <laughs> if I approach the board and I say, I have an idea, the bo our board is really innovative and forward thinking. And they're like, yeah, if you think it's going to work, go for it, Eli. And so I just make more right. work for myself, but myself, but it's so great. They're all, I'm excited about all of these new things and That's really amazing. hope that people take advantage of it. The theme of uh, this season of the podcast is about advocacy and empowerment. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, when I started back in 2004, we didn't even use the term really advocate, right? It was, it was patient. People use the term patient. Um, and then it started to evolve at the first World Parkinson Congress, where we started talking about, we, we would prefer to say person with Parkinson's and shifting away from just the word patient. Not that you aren't a patient, you are a patient when you're in your doctor's office, but when you leave your doctor's office, you're really an advocate. You, you shift, you know, you have multiple hats. And so, uh, we have seen over the years a huge shift away from just the word patient to person with Parkinson's. And the reality is, while the word advocate means different things in different countries, you know, in Europe, the word advocate tends to be more legal, like a lawyer. So people don't really use the same word um, as we do perhaps in the U.S. And, and in Canada. But it, we've seen this big shift where people now recognize that advocacy goes beyond just raising money for you know, for more research, and it goes beyond um, signing up for clinical trials. When I started out and we started talking about people with Parkinson's engaging, the two paths they had to engage, signing up for a clinical trial, to help advance science, and raising money for more money to go to NIH to do more research. That was it. You were only an advocate if you did one of those things. Wow. That has totally changed. Advocacy now is this huge list and umbrella of all sorts of things. If you're mentoring if you're a person with Parkinson's who mentors people who are newly diagnosed, that's an advocacy. That's a role for an advocate. If you're educating, you are an advocate. If you're communicating like you, Larry, with a podcast, that is advocacy because it's education, it's communication, it's empowering people. There are so many ways to educate. You can still engage in research. You can still raise money for causes, which are wonderful and, of course, always needed. But I think just the idea of what is the, what is the role of an advocate has expanded so much and it needed to expand. And I, I look at you know it, people who come to the World Parkinson Congress and we're shifting this language ourselves at the Congress is that my feeling is that anyone who attends the World Parkinson Congress is an advocate. So if you are a person with Parkinson's and you made a conscious choice to set money aside and time and you prioritize your life to attend a Congress to, and learn about the disease you live with, you are an advocate. You may not call yourself an advocate. You are an advocate because you are going above and beyond 99% of the other people on the planet. Some people can't do it physically or financially, but there are a lot of people who can't, who just choose not to. So the reality is if you come to the World Parkinson Congress as a person with Parkinson's or a care partner, you are a Parkinson advocate or a care advocate. And moving forward, that is how the World Parkinson Coalition is going to uh, address people. That's awesome. I love that. That's that's empowering people too. So now you're yes. an advocate. Hey, everybody's an advocate. 
Yes. You know, uh, I, I started this little uh, little website called the uh, group called the PD Avengers uh, with uh, my friends Tim and Sonia. What what, do you, what are you hearing about that? Like when you talk to people? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just so empowering when people with Parkinson's or any living with whatever you know they're living with and in any disease or illness space, when the people who are living with that disease come together and make decisions. You're not just, you don't just have a seat at the table, you're running the table. I think that's so important and so inspirational to other people to see what can be done. You don't have, you know, a big, you don't have a big budget. I know you don't have a big like private donor running the show. You're doing it from your kitchen table, at least for now, maybe. Um, But I think, I think that is hugely inspiring. And I think people uh, feel really motivated to see that you can do that. And you give other people sort of the power to then do things and make decisions and say, okay, I don't have to change the world, but I'm going to change this one thing. And I'm going to make sure that I have a voice or we have a voice or people are hearing us. And I just think, you know, you have to shoot big, right? My husband and we always say, go big or go home. And I think that's it, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. For if you're not going something big and huge, it's going to make a change. Why are you doing it in the first place? But that big and huge might be small in your community. It might be big in your just community, or it might be global. It doesn't have to be like the global changing everything, but people need to be inspired. And I think that PD Avengers has really with you and Sonia and Tim faces of advocates leading the charge. Uh, it's just so, it's so inspirational to people. And what I'm hearing is people just love you know, seeing that people with Parkinson's have made something and they're in charge and they're the decision makers and they're leading the way. So that's what I'm hearing. We, we, we love the WPC. We can't wait to go to Barcelona and raise a glass of sangria and have some tapas. And... <laughs> I'm packing my bags for Barcelona and that is the plan. Do we need to like, will... like write a campaign letter to Dr. Fauci? What do we need to do here? <laughs> I mean, I'm feeling pretty good with vaccines going out now. I know it's still shaky ground everywhere, but by the time we get to this summer, we'll have a better sense of what goes on and we'll figure something out. But excellent. But our plan is we're moving forward full on um, for June of 2022 in Barcelona. But we do hope everyone will a virtual program in May so they can, you know, learn and be inspired and, and ready, get, get a little more prepared for Barcelona. So. Awesome. Thank you, Eli. Thanks Bye. so much for all you do. Bye. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Thanks, Eli. We've talked a lot about how um, I have an issue with exercise. Uh, and we want to update people on where that's at because it's something that I really want to work through. So we've talked about it and you, you've, you've pointed out like it's, you've talked about it on the podcast so much that it's now become part of your persona. The part of, oh, I don't like exercise. I'm kind of a big guy. Clearly, I don't like exercise. All of that, that image, that humor has become kind of part of your podcast on air persona, your Parkinson's persona, so to speak. And that's, we're trying to move evolve that out of that yeah and and there's been people that you know have have enjoyed that because it, they relate to it uh, but I do need to actually get into exercise so I've been working with a counselor to try to figure out you know where it started and what's the cause of it and you know well because for sure it's it's a core issue for you it's something that is more than just oh, I don't like to exercise or it's boring, or I don't get the same kind of adrenaline rush that other people do, so I don't get the same payoff or whatever. There is clearly something deeper going on psychologically, emotionally, energetically that was keeping you from making that a priority in your life. And so I'm so proud of you for your courage to really take a good look at that because that's that's been a lifelong thing for you. Yeah. And there's a lot of things attached to it. And, uh, you know, and, and it, there is some, you know, of my identity wrapped up into it. Yeah. Um, and so then you have to figure out, well, then who am I? And if I'm not this big roly poly guy who doesn't like to move my body very much. <laughs> who am I? Who? I see the 10,000 other things right. that you are, but I know that this is part of the image and identity that you have projected for so many years. Right. Um, and so, you know, working through that with my counselor and us having our discussions, because, you know, one of the things that 
you know, we had a pretty intense conversation in the kitchen a couple weeks ago or a month ago where we talked about, um, you know, you're really just going to not exercise and like, just let yourself go. Like, like, you know, this is the only thing that park you, you can, you can use to hold off Parkinson's and you're not going to do that for yourself. And I was like, no. But what I realized is I would do it for you and Henry. And so, um, and I would do it for you and Henry to stay healthy and, and, um, strong and, um, you know, fit for me and for you and for Henry. So you are doing it partly for yourself. Well, I put myself well. in there because I, I think you have to fake it till you make it. So I, 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 in order for me to enjoy being around, I'm going to have to be healthy. So, um, last year, uh, we did do a, uh, an episode towards the end of last season, uh, about TheraCycle. Uh, and I've been looking at the TheraCycle since I got diagnosed. Um, and I finally ordered one and it's on its way. Yay. So we're going to follow that journey and see where that takes me. Um, but that is a, uh, a, a, a bike, a stationary bike. Uh, it's more than a bike. It's made, it's made for people with Parkinson's. Um, and if you go to theracycle.com, you can see them, the, you know, uh, but I, it, it is a, uh, forced exercise. So there's a motor to it. And so, uh, it's for a guy like me, um, you know, just getting on there, listening to a podcast and going, um, you know, if I do start off even just five minutes a day, it, you got to start slow and, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be Jimmy Choi tomorrow or ever, by the way, because I'm Larry Gifford. <laughs> he's Jimmy Choi. He's awesome, but he's, but you're yeah. different people and yeah. it's okay. <laughs> we, we will set different world records. Mine may involve cheeseburgers. Oh, there I go again. What the <laughs> just heck? Did it again. I just did it again. Okay. It's a process. It's a process. One step at a time. But you you recognize it right away. And usually it's me kind of oh. going, oh, seriously. <laughs> Rolling my eyes going, oh, there he goes again. Wow. Just It's just ingrained. It's not even conscious. Yeah. I love you. I love you too. This is When Life Gives You Parkinson's, a Curious Cast podcast. Our story producer is Dila Velazquez, sound designed by Greg Schott. The presenting partner is Parkinson Canada. Diagnosed with Parkinson's? You are not alone. Parkinson.ca. Thanks also to our promotional partners, the World Parkinson Congress 2022 in Barcelona, Spain. Go to WPC2022.org for details on special virtual events you can participate in now. If you want to check out the blogs we were talking about with Eli, go to worldpdcoalition.org. Spotlight YOPD, the only organization in the world with the singular focus of raising awareness of young onset Parkinson's disease. You can find them at spotlightyopd.org. The Michael J. Fox Foundation Parkinson's Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and at michaeljfox.org. And PD Avengers, ready to help end Parkinson's? Join now at pdavengers.com. And thank you for listening. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, while you're there, give the show a five-star rating and feel free to give a comment like Geocacher278 did. Amazing podcast. And here's her quote. That was the headline. I'm a 48-year-old woman. It sounds weird coming from my voice, but... (laughs) (laughs) I'm a 48-year-old woman who is just diagnosed with Parkinson's. I'm in shock and trying to grapple with the reality of this disease and what it means for my life and for my sweet family. In doing some research on PD, I came up on your podcast, and I can't tell you how much it has helped me. It's hopeful, funny, positive, and full of wise and science-based information. I've loved the interviews and enjoy the interactions between the Giffords. That's sweet. Thank you so much for helping to calm my heart and giving me hope that I'm going to be okay. You've also inspired me to get involved with the PD community, and I'm excited to learn about how I can be of help. Please keep this podcast going. I will be a regular listener. Thank you. 
it's exactly, she picked up on exactly what we were trying to do. And we really appreciate those comments. They mean a lot to us. And then it encourages other people to listen as well. Awesome. You can also engage with us on social media. It's at Parkinson's Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or email us at parkinsonspod at curiouscast.ca. Oh, and be sure to share this link to the podcast with your friends. You know, especially if you have like an email newsletter or a blog, you just be sure to put, hey, this is a great podcast. Check it out. Keep positive. Keep exercising. Keep listening. We'll talk to you next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.